Hello there, I'm Patrick Strove, trusted authority in executive and transactional liability and founder of Rubicon M&A Insurance Services. Now a proud member of the Liberty Company Insurance Broker Network. Welcome to M&A Masters, where I speak with the leading experts in mergers and acquisitions. And we're all about one thing here, that's a clean exit for owners, founders, and their investors. Today, I'm joined by Kelsey Larrick, co-founder of 365 Holdings. Based in Akron, Ohio, 365 Holdings is a vertically integrated holding company that provides e-commerce brands with a permanent home where they can thrive for the long term. And I'm always amazed when there are just new places for uh, acquisitions to happen, no matter how large or how small. So it's very exciting to meet you, Kelsey. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Now, before we get into 365 Holdings and your entire eco uh, for e-commerce, let's start with you. How did you come to this point in your career? Uh, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. So uh, I didn't go to a name brand school, never worked at a big company, um, literally just have been working for myself since going through college. Uh, ironically, I think the degree that I have hiding somewhere in the attic has a date on it that's several years after I started working because um, some complications. So my whole life has been working for myself. There's a long list of stories I could tell, but uh, e-commerce for me started six years ago. My relationship with my co-founder goes far beyond that. So the two of us had been working together in lots of very, very small businesses. It was not until we got to e-commerce that we found any meaningful scale or success that we'd have a team or have real like, operations or infrastructure. There was a lot of hustling and a lot of hard work to get to the start of our careers, which really began about six years ago when we bought an e-commerce business and that kicked off what is now 365 Holdings. And with 365 Holdings, I mean, you didn't name it Leric Holdings, which is good, <laughs> or, or or some derivation of you in, the, in your co-founder's name. So How'd you come up with a name and then talk about what 365 Holdings is? Uh, so the, the name story was we bought the first business and um, very quickly bought the second one. Like 60 days later, we maxed the line of credit, drained the checking account, kind of just put all the chips back on, on black and, and bought a second business very quickly. Wow. And one day, like a couple of weeks after we did that, I'm like, man, we should like, uh, we need like a a holding company. We need like a business to own the businesses and I could make our taxes easier and I could put up a website and then we go to buy a third one. Brokers will take me more seriously. There was not a lot of thought. I probably spent about 15 minutes with some names. And so 365 Holdings is the one that uh, that we ended up with. I wish I had a better story, but it was, we need a company and uh, maybe one day the name will matter. But right now we don't have any time to worry about that. So that's how we got to 365. For the second part of your question, uh, our focus is on buying uh, small businesses that primarily go to market selling physical products to consumers directly over the internet. We are an omni-channel business. We sell some products on Amazon. We sell some products through brick and mortar retail. I think that if we're going to be the right home for long tail consumer brands, we will always have sales channel diversity. We will sell products in big box and small retail, we'll sell them on other people's websites, but we'll focus on selling them on our own websites, first and foremost. And having those fantastic um, small businesses that sell consumer products, it will necessitate us being a multi-channel sales organization. And we see, you know, some of these commercials out there right now where you got, you know, mom and dad 
baking cookies or something, and that becomes the cookie empire and so forth. Is that the kind of profile for those of us that aren't as familiar with uh, consumer brand e-commerce? Uh, the way I like to explain this to people is there's really two ways that consumer products um, find success in the marketplace. They either have to uh, create demand or they have to capture it. So they need demand capture. Anybody goes on Amazon and they type in spatula or they type in um, car mats for their car. They type in dog collar. They type in just a category search term. Yeah, anything. You can do it on Google. You can do it on Amazon. And this whole business is just built on satisfying demand for a category. There's other businesses, probably more the variety you might see on Shark Tank or to use your mom and pop cookie example, that um, create demand. They run Facebook ads. They build a podcast. There's a passionate founder who makes YouTube videos. There's ways they capture attention by interrupting people, showing them a solution to a problem, and then delivering them a product. E-commerce is incredibly, incredibly broad. We're really focused on three verticals, specialty food, baby and classic CPG or consumables. Think like hair care, supplements, nutrition, things like that. E-commerce is much broader than that. I had a phone call yesterday with a gentleman that has a sporting goods business in e-commerce. Um, there's obviously apparel. There's lots and lots of categories. Uh, when I think about the world we play in, it's those three verticals that we're focused on, but there's many other go-to-market business models and many other product categories that get broadly lumped into this e-commerce industry. The irony, and I've started saying this recently, is there is no e-commerce industry. That's a misnomer. I say it. Lots of people say it. But there's no SIC code for e-commerce. Okay. E-commerce is a sales channel. It's a way to sell products to consumers. It's distribution. It's not actually an industry, yet we talk about it like it is. Amazon's humongous. Shopify is very important. We all set spend money on Facebook and Google to advertise. And we talk about e-commerce, but really what we are is we're an apparel business, or we're a food business, or we're a dog leash business, which is in some consumer discretionary product category that just so happens to have its distribution be primarily on the internet. Okay. And now what does 365 Holdings bring to the table with it? I, I have a feeling that with a lot of small businesses, they get successful and they reach an inflection point where they're, you know... They're too big to be small now, but they're too small to be enterprise. And they need channel management, resources, guidance. Tell me about, those. are those the things that 365 Holdings brings? Everything you suspect and more. Um, there was always the thesis was having a roll-up strategy of these small businesses would allow us to achieve synergy. And we'd have a fixed cost base and we'd scale on top of that. Um, that's slowly proving true. It's incredibly hard work. It's not a magic wand where everything we buy just turns to gold instantly. But the functions we've learned are very important. Our supply chain, getting products in the door, getting products out the door, uh, customer success and servicing customers and solving issues and closing support tickets, uh, go to market, whether that's on Facebook, Google, D2C channel, Amazon, wholesale, but solving that whole demand generation, demand capture part of the business. Uh, those are the main functions where we see a founder will have some aspirations, but they're done. And we identify opportunity in those main areas as ways that we can be a best home for that business going forward. And as you're doing this, you're taking control or minority shares? Is it, uh, how's, that, how's that work? We uh, historically have done 100% uh, acquisition and we 100% operate post-close. Uh, historically, because of the nature of an e-commerce business uh, as a sales channel, businesses focused on selling online, 
there's often not a lot of infrastructure. There's not a lot of team or um, even necessarily an office sometimes. Sometimes they're virtual businesses that run from people's living rooms. Yeah. Uh, we tend to not use a lot of their vendors because we have an existing warehouse. We have an existing customer service team. We run our own ads. We don't use an ad agency. So we end up not taking on a lot of resources when we buy one of these brands. We end up largely operating it with our own infrastructure. Okay, well, that makes it efficient and you got economies to scale that, that you can deploy on that. So it works yep. out. Well, with this, because part of this is for owners and founders that either want to come to the next level or get an exit. So I think you're doing both. Talk about the profile that you're looking at, uh, you know, for your ideal target. In our three verticals, uh, specialty food, baby, and classic like consumable or consumer packaged goods, uh, we're really looking for businesses that are, call it three, four million on the low end of revenue, all the way up to 10, maybe 15 or 20 on the high end that are looking for a transaction where um, a vertically integrated operating company like ours could be a great home. That revenue size and those three verticals is our sweet spot. We certainly look outside of that from time to time, but that's our focus. And then the founders, are they do they exit or do they stay on as this thing goes and, you know, they or evolve further. Yeah, that, uh, most of the businesses we've looked at historically, and most of what I think is truly a good fit for our model is for the founder to pass on the keys and move on. That's mm -hmm. more often than not what most people are looking for when I talk to them anyways. I'm, I can imagine you probably have some repeat uh, clients that, yeah, because that's <laughs> the whole thing about entrepreneurs. Once they go off, they don't go off to their little island or something. They get the itching and find something else. We've uh, we've almost had that happen. Yes, that, that's not uh, not uncommon. Okay, with um, what epiphanies? You know, I, I'm sorry we didn't talk about this earlier, but as you sit down with you know these targets and talk about here are the things that can't happen and so forth, and you just see the light bulb go on. You know, what? Give us a couple of, of situations where that happened. I, I always think that's exciting. Uh, epiphanies in regards to. The where, the where the founder comes to you saying, I want to scale up and you say, well, here's how this goes. And they, and they think <laughs> a scale is going to be this much. And you said, well, actually, it's going to be that much. Uh, usually the, one of the harder realities is around working capital requirements. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at the cash conversion cycle of an e-commerce native business and we're putting money out and add dollars or buying products or selling them. Uh, the cash required to drive growth is usually one of the things that uh, founders underestimate is often the reason they look for an exit. And then when we talk about growth, we have to balance that whole supply chain and cash conversion cycle conversation against market size. Many long tail small businesses that sell products direct to consumer, there's only so much addressable market to capture and kind of calibrating expectations of how big this business could or should be, what is reasonable in terms of customer acquisition costs and customer lifetime value. And how do we actually model out the future of this business? Uh, it's typically an eye-opening exercise for all parties. I love it. So we get to go see new businesses that have interesting dynamics and new and different industries. And most founders have not gone through that process. And so it's a lot of fun. Uh, sometimes they're excited by what we share. Sometimes disappointed. Uh, but it's a new and exciting adventure every time we do it. Okay. And I think one of the things that's great now with, with this acquisition uh, process completely is where you don't have to build something from scratch is that it not only accelerates growth, but there's risk out there. And what I'm very proud about with the insurance industry is we've come up with a way to 
remove or transfer a lot of that risk between buyer and seller off to a third party. And in mergers and acquisitions, largely on the traditional large deals that you hear about, uh, you know, in the news, where uh, a product called reps and warranties will come in and essentially uh, steps in the in the shoes of the seller, saying if the seller has to indemnify the buyer for a breach of the seller reps and the buyer suffers financially post closing, then the buyer goes to the insurance company. They don't go to the seller to to claw back any funds and so forth. Um, what's been wonderful is that rep and warranty, while good for large platform companies and transactions above 50 million is now available on the lower end. And I'm just curious, good, bad, or indifferent, Kelsey, what experience have you had with rep and warranty with all the acquisitions you guys have been doing? I always assumed that the insurance was, as you pointed out, for much larger transactions than we're working with. Uh, we have had uh, certainly a number of post-closing um, conversations regarding reps, warranties, indemnification, clawbacks, escrows, all of those things have happened. I wish they wouldn't, but it's kind of the nature of transactions sometimes. Um, it would certainly be easier if there was an insurance company to pay that out than to go through the process with uh, somebody you're trying to maintain a relationship with. But uh, it, it's a constant topic. It's always a point of negotiation with the lawyers. And um, you know, buyers want certainty of what they're going to end up with post-closing and an uh, individual founder making an exit that is a non private equity, non-investment banking seasoned expert. It's never gone to this before. I call, yeah, so I call those inexperienced. They're not, inexperienced. they're not naive. They're just inexperienced. Uh, I, would, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, they're looking for uh, certainty. They, they'd like to pass the keys off and move on. They're only experiencing maybe selling a home where, hey, escrow closes, I get my money, I pull out of the driveway and we don't need to talk again. And businesses are, are more complicated than that for a lot of reasons. And so um, I would love it if we had some reps and warranties insurance to fall back on. I'd, I'd probably uh, be more aggressive in a couple of things, knowing it was easy to uh, be made whole if we needed to be. Well, and there's a great opportunity not to sound like a, a commercial here, but actually what has recently been launched by one of our insurance carriers is a sell side policy for the ultra lower middle market. This is a policy where the seller, not the buyer, is the policyholder. The policy responds or is triggered when the seller receives a demand from the buyer saying there's been a breach, we've suffered financially, we need a check for X dollars for our damages. The seller forwards that correspondence right up to the insurance carrier. The insurance carrier goes to the buyer, negotiates, settles it without the need to pull the seller in or drag, drag them through any clawback. And what's been wonderful about this is this has only become available in the last 12 months. And at a cost of $15 to $20,000 per million dollars in coverage, it's not built, it's not priced based on the size of the deal. It's just based on how much insurance is, is carried. It's usually a million dollars to $20 million, actually. And in, and with a one-day turnaround for getting these processed, is efficient and it helps accelerate deals closing, but also you don't want them just closing, you want them closing happily. And it's something that we're very proud of because in my years in MA, I would constantly be approached by either uh, you know, owners and founders saying, We're being acquired, we are under $20 million, and our buyer doesn't want to get this insurance. Is there anything we can do? And if the buyer wouldn't do it, then it didn't happen. And so that's why we're very proud to have this product out there. And I think that it'd be an ideal fit for, you know, organizations like 365 Holdings, as a matter of fact, because as that is part of the offering that not only will you benefit from the peace of mind, but your counterparty, the seller, can have that clean exit. I'll send them all uh, all your way. I like it. 
Well, that'll be fantastic. So now, Kelsey, in, in the tenure of 365, I mean, how many acquisitions have you made? Uh, today, we have um, six platform brands. There's been more acquisitions than that through time. A mm-hmm. um, few exits, more than that in purchases. And today, we hold six. And now, as e-commerce, as with a lot of other things, is very fluid. I'm sure it was very, very busy a year ago uh, during the pandemic. But uh, you know, as we're coming into 2023, what trends do you see going forward, either be it e-commerce or 365 holdings, whatever you want to say? The uh, big variable is probably just um, kind of the macro economy. Uh, as interest rates move up and maybe there's some softening in the next year, uh, talk of a recession, there's a lot of question marks so far amongst myself and peers that sell products via e-commerce. It is not field dire. In Q4 of 2022, people had a great Black Friday. Uh, major ad platforms performed well. Consumers came out and largely spent a lot of money in a lot of places. Uh, I'm hopeful that that means good things for next year. I'm concerned if maybe we have a soft Q1 or Q2, especially as rates continue to rise, uh, that could spell for tough times. We've seen a lot of valuations come down, mm-hmm. particularly as public comps have come down dramatically. That's moved down from the lower middle market all the way to Main Street and even uh, drying up a lot of venture funds in and around uh, consumer products. So we'll see uh, where that goes. Uh, anybody's guess as to what exactly happens. But those are the things that are on my mind to watch out for. I think as a buyer, uh, it's fairly a little more favorable for you because if those valuations come down, those those uh, those numbers come down, I think you're not going to have those you know insane auctions and and insane uh, purchase price amounts. We haven't uh, done a lot of buying in the last two years for a variety of reasons. Um, for better or worse, I've been seeing a lot of distressed deal flow. As a platform buyer, we have the opportunity to execute on things that don't make sense for a standalone acquisition. Um, I don't want anybody to uh, have an unsuccessful business, but if they need a soft landing, we can be a good home for that. And we're looking at a lot of those right now. Well, fantastic. Well, Kelsey Lerick from 365 Holdings, how can our audience members find you? Uh, I'm relatively easy to get a hold of on Twitter and LinkedIn. Our company website is 365-holdings.com. If you can spell my first name, you can figure out how to email me. And uh, I'm available uh, on most major social networks. If you want to chat about e-commerce, just reach out. Kelsey, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. 